Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sikama. With me is Benjamin Solak. This edition of the podcast is brought to you by our fine friends over at Pepsi, who are reminding us that this football season is going to be different, and Pepsi is here to get us ready for game day, no matter what our game day experience is. Bucks, personally, Bucks, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, on top of the NFC South. Ben's Philadelphia Eagles. On top of the NFC East, so no matter what team that you are rooting for, there's a lot of excitement one way or the other. Pepsi is the refreshment that you need to power through game day no matter what you're watching because you could become a league of the football watchers. Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. Ben, today is a college football-centric episode. Well, it is supposed to be, you know. On days where Bill O'Brien doesn't get fired by the Houston Texans. (laughs) We have to talk about that at the top of the show because you and I just touched on this yesterday because one of your big talking points when you buried the Houston Texans, and I'm not going to lie, my friend, I looked at the pre-show rundown and you had the Texans as your team for a funeral. And I wanted to hear why because I was like, man, are you sure? Like Texans right, before, right. right, you know, like before the Giants, before the Falcons, before all of them. And here we go. You, I thought you laid it out very nicely that even though the Texans were going to win a handful of games from here on out, they still did not have the future both this season and maybe even next season that they uh, would, I guess, garner chances to play in the postseason. Now they don't have a head coach. Now they don't have a GM. Now they don't have a lot of stuff. And so I got to shoot. I was I was very shocked to see that Bill O'Brien was the first coach fired here in 2020. It's really like, firstly, as far as a thing to bet on, like that's actually where I do draw the line. Like I thankfully did not have that Adam Gase first coach fire ticket that seemingly everybody in the entire world had. But a four-week firing of a guy who, I mean, less than two calendar years ago, you were like, listen, let's put him in charge of everything. This is the best decision. And then that was June, July, that was, 2018. Uh, was he G- Was he officially GM then? I thought he was, so G- they I thought he was officially the- GM until like... Right, 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 right. So they fired Brandon Gaines. In the summer of 2019. So June 2019. Okay. Since then, they have not hired a general manager. So yeah, it's been O'Brien. Bill O'Brien has been the de facto general manager. I don't know if they ever really put the general manager tag on him. I mean, like, I don't think they ever did. Did did they do that in New England? I don't know. Regardless, he's been the acting general manager for a year and five months. year and four months. (sighs) What? For, I, I wanted to say what changed between when you made him in charge in twenty in the summer of 2019, you fired him in the fall of 2020. It's obvious what changed. Every decision he's made has been bad. But also, what did you expect? What, what, how did you think? Bill O'Brien, he, he got Rick Smith out. He put Brandon uh, Brian Gain as his, as his guy. He got Brian Gain. That was, the whole point was his relationship with Bill O'Brien. 16 months into Brian Gaines' tenure as general manager, Bill O'Brien wants him out and gets more power. And now, fast forward another 18 months, 20 months, Bill O'Brien's gone. This is not healthy, McNair family. And obviously, okay, you've now officially cleaned house. I First, you should get Rick Smith back. He was doing a pretty great job drafting for you. But okay, you've officially cleaned house. You've ended the nightmare, whatever. But man... You want to talk about just like we talk about the Jets and, and Woody Johnson and Adam Gase ruining Sam Donald on a rookie contract. Okay, well, Sam, there's a chance Sam Donald was not going to be good at all. Deshaun Watson was definitely good. This was as wasteful of a rookie contract tenure at quarterback as we've seen since the new CBA made rookie contracts the most OP thing in the game. Deshaun Watson, they got they got one playoff win in two years. 
brother. Despicable. He had, in seven years, I'm looking at it right now, one losing season as a head coach, four division titles, and is currently coming off back-to-back double-digit win seasons. He, and this dude that's got the thing. People love to talk about O'Brien as the coach. He went nine and seven in 2014 with Brian Fitzpatrick. Nine and seven in 2015 with Ryan with uh, with a uh, uh, Brian, Brian Hoyer. Hoyer. Right. Nine and seven in 2016 with Brock Osweiler. And then finally they get in the quarterback. O'Brien gets the quarterback he wants. Immediately the offense looks better. Eleven, uh, they, they're four and twelve. But then eleven and five, ten and six, AFC contender. But O'Brien believed wrongfully, as we know, that if he were in control of the entire roster that he could make the team better and that they would be a contending team. It's on the McNair family, the owners, for believing him. And it's, and it's on them for not acknowledging that there's a reason every team has a head coach and a general manager that are two different people, save for the New England Patriots. And you're trying to cosplay New England. No, no, You don't have a... Belichick is the exception that proves the rule. You cannot try to build your team in New England's mold. It will not work. You do this... And now not only have you ruined Deshaun Watson's rookie contract, have you ruined that winning window, but more so than any other team who wasted a rookie contract window, you are screwed for the future. Oh, negligent. I can't stand it. It's... I never thought that he was going to be the first guy fired. And it's crazy because I, I think that everyone believes it was the right move that he should be fired. You know, just because of the place that they got to where it's like, wow, yeah, uh, we got to get rid of them. Like, oh, like completely. And so Houston's in a tough spot. I know you wrote about it yesterday. You put it in details. Oh, man, lack of talent around Deshaun Watson. Lack of picks to make up for it. She's not good, man. Sucks. I feel bad for Texans fans, but at least you're moving on. At least you, At least you have cut the root. Now you can actually plant another tree that will hopefully be able to grow because the soil is great. You have Deshaun Watson. That's the most important piece. Is it? They have negative $11 million in cap space. And no first, second round pick. I just said it was the most important piece. You said the soil is great. Yeah, because it's got Deshaun Watson. Oh, I think Deshaun Watson is the beautiful redwood tree. And the soil is bad. No, you didn't follow Wait, the analogy. I don't think I got it, yeah. No, because Bill O'Brien was the root. Have you ever planted anything in your life? Damn. <laughs> I thought I was on fire over here. <laughs> I'm sorry, but just the like acerbic insult. Have you ever planted anything in your life? <laughs> Choked me out. Speaking of planting, Mac Jones in Alabama. I have no idea how that's a transition. No, we're we're talking we're talking college football today. We had to touch on the Bill O'Brien thing because it's the biggest news in football right now. So, um, we Ben really laid out <laughs> a lot of the the thoughts that, that we had going back and forth on yesterday's podcast. So if you missed that, go and listen to that. We've got some more thoughts on uh, on Bill O'Brien and the Texans even before the firing happened. But we've got some college football to talk about. We're turning the clock back. We're going back to Saturday. It was a full slate. There's a lot of big time action. Ben, we got a couple of segments and ways that we want to highlight what happened this weekend, but what are you most passionate about right now? What do you want to get to right off the bat to talk about coming off of, what was it, I believe week five of the college football season? Yep. Whew. Let's start with uh, the best thing I saw this week because it's fresh in my mind. Everybody, uh, every draft neck, every draft head, all of us have broken and perverted people. We're so excited to watch Trey Lance's one single game against Central Arkansas. I actually didn't watch it live. I saw people reacting to it live. But I knew there'd be a cut up on YouTube in 12 seconds, and there was. Uh, Trey Lance gets the one game that North Dakota State was going to play all year. And he doesn't look like, you know, Trevor Lawrence has. He doesn't look like Justin Fields did to finish last season. And that's not, you know... Uh, there's there's a, a large spectrum of good quarterback play that exists between that and, you know, being like outside of the first round. And Trey Lance was probably somewhere in the middle of that, but it was very clear that he wasn't as good as people were hoping he was going to be in his one week performance for this season. The question isn't whether or not Lance looked good. It's 
to what degree at all does this game matter? Mm-hmm. And the answer is zero. It doesn't. And no, name one team who's played their first game this season after having no practice, some practice, yes, football, no football, COVID, whatever. Right. And has looked exactly as we anticipated them to be, besides perhaps your Clemsons and your Alabamas, of which North Dakota State is arguably one at the FCS level. But still, they came out. They fell behind to, to Central Arkansas. They, they, they dropped in the third quarter and had to surge in the fourth quarter. Letting a not a worse team, Central Arkansas is a pretty good team, but letting a team they should beat hang around for a little bit longer. They were sloppy. They're making mistakes. Lance, uh, the, the offensive line played poorly. Lance was under a ton of pressure. Didn't deal with pressure in a, in a really great way. Kudos to Matt Entz, the head coach, who got Trey Lance running the football on some design stuff. That really opened the game for them. Lance ends with 143 rushing yards on 15 carries, two touchdowns, including some scrambles, some design runs. Uh, he was 15 for 30, 149 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. He also had a fumble. In on a sack uh, in the pocket. All of this to say that, like, all right, Trey Lance played his one game. If you were drafting Trey Lance based off of his ability to lead a comeback against Central Arkansas in the middle of 2020, you're drafting him for the wrong reason. Everything that Trey Lance did as a freshman and then the one game he put out as a redshirt sophomore is building a profile for development, growth, and improved future play based off of current physical and mental tools. He is an FCS quarterback who is not surrounded by NFL talent. He had some unbelievable throws. Dude, his arm is live. Scramble, you know, scramble play, reset in the pocket, 25 yards down the field, over a sinking defender on the sideline, hits the guy in the hands. If he's NFL height or NFL skill, it's a catch. He had a 60-yard bomb that was like one step further, like like not far enough. Should have been 61 yards and it was 60. And the receiver doesn't catch it through contest. Wow, He played a great... Undraftable. Right. But that's the thing is like, I'm already like, I'm trying to defend his performance. The overarching point here is that his performance just does not matter. It's one game... It's literally, it's one game, and there isn't even a rest of the season. It's just this game. It's just North Dakota State was like, here's a game. Like, it's, he, but why? It doesn't matter. It doesn't, there's no prep. <laughs> like, like the, 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 just the preparation is so different. The scripting is so different. This data point pales in importance relative to the data points of when he was a younger player playing in a more typical situation under a more typical context in which he was a delightful player all the physical tools are still there so that's the only box i needed to be checked it's still there he is a clear nfler he's a clear round one guy if he had just never played against central arkansas nobody would be bringing up any questions about him whatsoever i find it extremely funny i think that that, we are all reacting to this yeah well i think that i'm 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 with you for the most part i really am because just picking one game and having him play randomly and then trying to put a season's worth of stock into a 60 minute performance it's just it it is silly you know like even just saying it out loud it's kind of silly but i do think i i wonder if there is something to this because you know, as people who work in the draft industry, we love draft hype. You know, like we love when people care about the draft, but you and I have both experienced this. We've seen this. The longer that time can go by, the more you might think a player is better than he is. You know, you can let your imagination sometimes as a draft fan get the best of you. And I feel like there has been a ton of praise for Trey Lance, and I think that he's a good football player. But like, for example, you know, when... The Minnesota Vikings started like playing poorly, and when Kirk Cousins was was really not playing well, and the Vikings were getting closer and closer to having almost like a top five pick, there were people who were saying like, "Yeah, Vikings like Trey Lance, like let's make Trey Lance the guy." But as as like a top five pick, that then kind of puts him in contention with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, and I think I saw a lot of people on the timeline on Saturday and in the days that followed saying that they have been led to believe that Lance was of the same caliber as Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. So that's where I feel like the main discussion came from this past weekend is everybody was saying that like Lance wasn't as good as Lawrence or Fields. But to me, he's always been QB3. It's always been those two guys that are ahead of Trey Lance. But 
that's that's where I feel like the discussion was coming from after this weekend. It was it was compared to those other guys, not necessarily like Trey Lance in a bubble. Does that make sense? Yes, uh, but like also you know like I think that I, I I talked about this with Fran Duffy on the Journey to the Draft podcast last week. There's or actually no, it was with the Boomer Bust Draft guys, or the the show that we've done. Uh, there's degrees of certainty, and because like Lance is a an FCS player, like he could have never thrown any completion. You still just can't measure him against Trevor Lawrence in the national championship being amazing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like just the, the, it's the, also, the dearth yeah, in talent is too big to, to get to right. reach. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Cause, Cause you're, you are, yeah, you're going to sit there and you think, well, if, if Trevor Lawrence can complete these things in the national championship, then I better not see Trey Lance mess up one single throw or I'm going to think he's not as good. And football is not as cut and dry as that. It's just not, mm-hmm. um, Best thing that I saw this week, I wanted to make sure that we mentioned Trey Lance, so I'm glad that you brought him up at the beginning of the show because as I was even going over the tape one more time in the re- rewatch, dude, his arm is live. I mean, like, it, it, is, it. it is easy for him. Now, I just, I, I think that there, you know, even with me watching it again, there's stuff that I watched over the summer that I still kind of see there that he is obviously going to need work on coming from a program like NDSU where he is clearly the most talented guy out there and then jumping right to uh, NFL-level competition. There's some pocket presence stuff and just some natural things that he's got to continue to think about and get more of it t- towards his process. But it's not like you can go away from that game and think, wow, yeah, he's not the quarterback that I thought he was. Anyways, um, I just kind of digressed there back into that topic when I was trying to wrap it up. Best thing I saw this week. Man, we all crapped on Brock Purdy at the beginning of the year. When he had, yes. when he laid that dud... At the beginning of the year, we were like, wow, I can't wait to not have to worry about Brock Purdy again. Then Iowa State came around and upset Oklahoma. That was a fun game to kind of go back and watch the big plays on. I caught a little bit of it live, but, you know, I think Purdy is fine. And even when I was watching him in summer scouting, I came away with him as my QB4, but it wasn't a confident QB4. I thought there were a lot of limitations that I viewed with Brock Purdy, mainly with his arm strength. But what Purdy can do well, I think, is have that short and intermediate accuracy. A guy who can survive outside the pocket. A guy who could be pretty decent throwing on the run. I mean, he's not going to be an escape artist or anything. But when I went back and I watched that Iowa State and Oklahoma game, I felt like that was a really great performance from Brock Purdy. I thought that that was like him in a nutshell, what he is able to do. You saw a little bit of the ceiling there with him as well, but like a game manager kind of player where that's kind of what I think Brock Purdy is. I I don't think he's a franchise quarterback. I don't think that he has that high level of arm talent to it, but I think he's an NFL backup guy. I think he's a guy who could survive in the league and, and, and be a player who's on rosters here and there and, what I saw against Oklahoma was a gutty performance from him in a back-and-forth game where there was a lot of emotion, a lot of highs and lows, and for Purdy to come out on top after really taking a licking in in week one, that was really cool for me to see from Purdy. It, it was nice to see Iowa State really get off and uh, and upset Oklahoma the way they did. Yeah, I the, the Louisiana Lafayette game, they don't have Charlie Kohler. And then in the TCU game and the Oklahoma game, they have Charlie Kohler. And man, if you want an anecdotal proof of concept that your game managing, you know, pocket passing, quick distribution quarterback needs a big tight end. If you're if you want to prove that Jimmy Garoppolo needs George Kittle, Brock Purdy and Charlie Kohler, he does not look to anyone else on third down or in the red zone. Laser. Kohler has been critical for the Cyclones since coming back from that injury, since missing that, that 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 first game. And what I think you see in terms of Purdy and the way that Iowa State is using him indicates that his NFL future is modest because they don't trust him at the college level right. to make a ton of throws. Right. I, they, they, they have the worst wide receiver core they've had in a couple of years. That, that contributes to it uh, most definitely. But they want him thrown underneath stuff. They want him thrown first read stuff. And they have enough weaponry wise with Charlie Kohler, Brees Hall, true sophomore running back. He's an NFLer um, to keep things moving. But yeah, with Purdy, it's just it, it's become 
just that Louisiana Lafayette game helps you understand to what degree he is a safety blanket quarterback after watching guys like Brett Rippon and Nick Mullins over the last you know few days Purdy has a great chance to hang around in the league and be that sort of a player but to project him as much more is tough for me right now right right yeah mm-hmm. but I, I I did like him I love that performance I, oh also I, also I, also Arkansas last week I don't want to say taking Georgia to the wire because Georgia really pulled away at the end of the at the end of the game. But at halftime, Arkansas was really, really staying with the number four team in the country. Come up short of getting the upset, but then this week, they upset Mississippi State. They upset KJ Costello and Mike right. Leach, who put up six hundred passing yards the week before, and Arkansas comes up and shuts them down. How about like those those two upsets? Iowa State getting the upset over Oklahoma, and then Arkansas getting the upset over Mississippi State. Those were two of my favorite things that I saw this week because, uh, yeah, it was it, it was just it was an embodiment of college football. It felt like college football again, where it was like, hey, you know, any team can really win any given week, and that that was a cool feeling that I had watching those teams come up with the upsets the way they did. I think if I. Uh... Somebody was like, wow, I've heard of this uh, this head coach, Mike Leach. What's he like? I beg, all right, here's what I want you to do. Google Mississippi State LSU ESPN Game Summary 2020. And then Google uh, Arkansas Mississippi State ESPN Game Summary 2020. Look at them both. Read the recaps. And then check the dates. And that's Mike Leach. <laughs> Seven days apart. Yeah. Mike Seven. Leach against man cover. National champion. This is the greatest <laughs> offense ever. Mike Leach against two and twelve Arkansas, who figured out how to drop into zones. We have no solution. Sam Pittman, baby, the Sam Pittman era. I almost of Arkansas. made Sam Pittman my thick boy of the week. Oh, he could definitely be the thick boy of the week. Have you seen the video of him just like saying "aw yeah" a bunch no, of no, times? No, 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 no. Wait, it's not "aw yeah." I don't think. What is that? Un- unless it's unless you're thinking of a different video, he's the one who he's looks, wearing a bunch of jerseys. He's the one who looks at the camera very weird and then just goes, "Yes, sir." Yes, and like yes, that's sir. just that's what, what he does. It's his catchphrase. Yes, yes sir. Yes, Which sir. Because like I'm a big I'm a big yes sir guy. You know what I mean? Like I like I then I do big... something cool. I make a good play. Like yeah, yes sir. But oh, I don't then... say it like that. I'm going to send you videos because I have in my meme folder multiple cut-ups of Sam Pittman <laughs> just looking at the camera and just the going, best is yeah, just him in like every single one of his Georgia offensive lineman's jerseys. And he like he's wearing a blazer over it. And each one, <laughs> he like slightly widens the blazer open to reveal the full jersey. And he just goes, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this season, get football on your time. With NFL Game Pass, you can catch every snap from every game with full game replays. See all of the games within 45 minutes with the condensed game feature. You relive all the gutsy calls, the crazy catches, the wild comebacks, and the breakout stars from every game every single week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. And NFL Game Pass is also the only place where you can replay every game all season long. You're also going to learn from the league's best players with 40. Count them! 40 NFL Game Pass film session episodes. You can go inside the game from the player's perspective as they break down their game concepts, their techniques, things like that. You're going to learn from the best, like Deshaun Watson, who's now free of Bill O'Brien, Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Adams, and many, many more. NFL Game Pass also provides access to the entire NFL Films archive. So go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to get your free trial started today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. All right, what's the next category? We want to do uh, standout and scouting. We want to talk about a guy that we uh, we really enjoyed yeah. this weekend. Yeah, I'm 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 feeling passionate about my guy. Okay, let's let's hear it. We've had a couple of Georgia edges come out in the NFL draft to varying degrees of success in the league, uh, and with varying body types as well. I should I should make the point that it's not a particular like mold. We're talking about Jordan Jenkins. DeAndre Walker, Leonard Floyd. And the thing with a lot of these guys was how Georgia used them as stand-ups. They kick them into the inside and A-gaps, and they move them around, and it makes it tough at times to ID exactly which physical tools they've got and how they're successful. I always go back to Leonard Floyd, who people loved him coming out, and I was like, the dude's just shooting A-gaps. Like, I don't get it. Aziz Ojolari, redshirt sophomore, 
Edge, Georgia. Six two. <laughs> I just like how you introed that. That was very dramatic. It was like yeah. movie movie title like. Six three two forty. Man. Powerful dude at two forty. I think he's heavier. But if he's like anywhere if he's like two forty low, this kid hits like a ton of bricks. Whoa. Auburn, uh, Auburn's obviously dealing with some changes in the offensive line. Auburn's biggest issue right now is that they were unable to reload in both trenches, and that's making it, as as evidenced by the game on Saturday night, extremely difficult for them to hang like a, with a physical team like Georgia. But he, Ojolari's still going up against four-star size. He's still going up against SEC size. Uh, Ojolari ends his day five tackles, one sack, three TFLs. Uh, one TFL was kind of a preview on, on a little fake meal, but the other two TFLs, extremely high-quality plays in the trenches, very aggressive player on, on, as the end man line on the line of scrimmage, being the aggressor, squeezing down, shutting the B-gap. I mean, he just owned and run defense all night, length, strength, power, and then he's able to make tackles. Like I said, he's got good length, and he's quick in space behind the line of scrimmage when guys are trying to get the edge on him. His sack was the virtue of just power and energy and, and, and aggression. I mean, he was flying off the ball and using his, just using his shoulder pads, using natural leverage. 6'3 isn't necessarily the biggest dude in the face of the planet and just ripping through some bad Auburn offensive linemen. It was embarrassing to watch for them. So what we ask ourselves, what we ask ourselves now with Ojolari is frame wise, build-wise, athleticism-wise, can he be a true edge? You watch the sack he had in week one against Tennessee. True five-tech alignment, outside hand placement, little push-pull, get the bend, step through, close on the quarterback. Flawless technique. He is right there and, and in terms of what you need to see from a guy as a developmental edge player. And he clearly has such great athletic ability to continue growing technically. Is he going to come out this year? I don't think so. But this is an extremely live guy. And like, you know, when we talk about a lot of these young edges around the country, you know, your Kayvon Thibodeau, the new kid in Clemson, whatever, Ojolari, I mean, if he comes out, great. But man, I mean, watching him and like really keying in on him for a couple of drives, you can just tell he moves different. And so he, he he's the guy that officially, I, I, I've got my, my flag on the hill. And if it's this year or next year, I think he's going to be a really fun one. A uh, bit of a homer pick, but as I was watching the Florida game, I wanted to make sure that I pointed this guy out. And it seems like a lot of you are already, he's already on your radar, but he needs to firmly get there at this point. Kadarius Tony, the wide receiver slash halfback slash athlete slash whatever you want to call him um, out of UF. 5'11", buck 90 really has not been used much at Florida. Um, I'm looking at it now. The most catches he's ever had in a single season was 25, and that was his sophomore year two years ago in 2018. His career high in touchdowns, it's this year with two. You know, it's, he's he's going to shatter his receiving yard career uh, total for a single season, which is only, two, which is only uh, 260 for a single year. And so... This guy is a pure gadget player. He's the kind of guy who, up to this point, and the reason why Florida really didn't feed him and the reason why a lot less people know about him is because he was just very erratic. There was no polish to him. There was no... It was just too chaotic. Like, even even in the routes that he would run, he just would not be reliable. He would not be in the right spot. He wasn't able to consistently run things the same way to get chemistry with whoever was playing quarterback at Florida. This year, he really has it with Kyle Trask. And Trask is able to get him the ball out of the backfield on swing passes uh, and mesh concepts over the middle. But we're even seeing, like, nine routes, post routes, ins and outs, like they're trusting him on comebacks. They're trusting him for a lot of different route combinations, which has not been the case with Kadarius Toney. But when you do get the ball in his hands, he's electric. He turns into a guy where there are not many players on the football field that have the kind of breakaway speed that he is able to get to. He's blown by defenders constantly, but the thing that really impresses me even more than his development in his route running this year is his balance. There are times when he will look Kamara-esque. And I really do, trust me, I hate saying that because I feel like people watch any player 
who bounces off one tackle and right. they just like I they, was about they, to say they just throw Alvin Kamara's name out there. But like, when oh, you good contact balance, there's only one player. Right, in the NFL yeah, everybody, with that. everybody, everybody just Alvin immediately Kamara. just goes to Alvin Kamara, and that's not the case. There's plenty of players who have good contact balance, but Kamara often like hits those very weird angles of his body. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like right. he really should be going down, and Kamara is. What Kamara's able to do is beyond even just normal contact balance. It's just kind of like freakish flexibility, the way that he's able to stay on his feet. That's what Tony is. Like, Tony goes beyond that contact balance where you're just bouncing off of a tackle and staying up. Like, he will get fully horizontal to the ground or something like that. Or or you just get to a point where you go, okay, he's obviously dead in the water. And he will just fully pop his body back up and then continue to sprint down the field. And you go, how did we get here from that he's he's one of those guys where and last week was actually a good example there were five players five South Carolina players that were all surrounding Tony as he was running down the field it was one of those moments where you screenshot it and you go that touchdown was nuts he scored a touchdown on this play and like that's that's what it is it's the breakaway speed along with the contact balance all at the same time. And he just he doesn't he doesn't lose speed. He keeps his acceleration. It's all just there very there for him. And so now that his hands have improved, his route running especially, I cannot say that enough. He was not nearly the route runner he needed to be to be considered an NFL player, even with his good natural athleticism. Now that is improved. I think his contact balance has taken it to another level. And as you watch Kyle Pitts for the rest of this season, because Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask are the main attractions on that Florida offense. Keep your eyes on Tony because I do think that he is an electric player that can potentially make a difference at the next level for a head coach that really knows what they're doing with him. Has there been, and I don't want to be a heretic here, Mm. a Percy Harvin, Kandarius, Tony comparison conversation sort of thing in Florida? Uh, I mean, yes. Among, Among Gators Twitter, yes. If any player... Who is below six foot one, runs fast. <laughs> they are Percy Harvin, and it's just like you guys need to shut up. <laughs> like, stop, stop it with Percy Harvin. Percy was an absolute freak, and so it, you, Percy, like Kamara, I, I just I very rarely even like to bring up in conversations because what they do was so special. But um, yeah, people have talked about the Percy Harvin connections with him but i i really do think percy won with pure speed more than tony does he 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 wins a little bit more with strength and breaking off tackles and so i wouldn't even say that that's a fair one-on-one comp but this floor offense right. is fun i, think I just go ahead no yeah i was gonna say like when we talk about Kadarius tony's blend of explosiveness and then speed agility contact balance right right that that combination because usually when you have guys with great contact balance, you think about Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, Nick Chubb. We're talking dense body builds, dense frames. That's not the case with Tony. When I start thinking about players with crazy contact balance at that size, Percy Harvin was 5'11", a buck 90. Mm-hmm. And so is so is Tony. Like, that's his measurements. Right. And so if he's running, you know, four threes, which is obviously what you got from Percy, if he's jumping, you know, whatever Harvin jumped, 38 or whatever it was, then that, like, that's playmaking ability because of your how you can bounce off of contact and also evade contact that's harvin ask which is why i ask it's fair you're not the only one to ask that folks rockauto.com is a family business serving auto park customers for over 20 years that's two decades ben i don't know if you count them but that's two decades count them you guys can go to rockauto.com to shop for all of your auto and body part needs from hundreds of different manufacturers. They've got everything that you could ask for, whether it's engine control modules or tail lamps, brake brake parts, motor oil, even new carpet in your car. No matter what make or model you're driving, rockauto.com has you covered. Their catalog is super easy to navigate. If you go over to rockauto.com, you can see everything straight on that left-hand side. Um, you can search for whatever car you're looking for, whether it is a fix or whether it is just an upgrade you're looking to do on your car, you're going to be able to find out if they have that in stock. And if they don't, hit them up. Give them an email. Call them. I guarantee they're going to be able to either, if if they cannot get the part themselves, they will be able to point you in the right direction because they've got fantastic customer service as well. If you do end up giving them a call, just either write 
Locked on NFL Draft in the little how did you hear about us box, or if you call them over the phone, just mention that you heard about it through the Locked on NFL Draft network. That would really help Ben and I out. They've got an amazing selection. Their prices are all, are reliably low. All the car parts that you were ever going to need over at rockauto.com. And one more thing before we get back to college football. Built Bar, we've talked about this before. They've got the best tasting protein bars on the planet. They're fantastic for your macros. Great to throw in your diet at any time. But they've also got these Built Go gel packs that you can have at any time in the day. And it's just instant energy. Instead of like hammering a high sugar energy drink, even if it's sugar free, it's probably got a lot of bad stuff in there for you. Looking at you, Ben. Or if you're on like your third cup of coffee a day, again, looking at you, Ben. What you could be doing instead is just having one of these little Built Go packs. They come in all kinds of different flavors. And like I said, they're easy to take either at home or if you're on the road, right before a workout or whatever it is. They're just a really easy way to throw in some extra energy throughout the day. If you go to BuiltBar.com, Sorry, BuiltGo.com for this one. Use the promo code LOCKED. It's just LOCKED, all caps, LOCKED. You get 30% off your next order to get all these energy packs. Use the promo code LOCKED. You get 30% off. BuiltGo.com. Then you can go over to BuiltBar.com. Get the protein bars to match, you know? Just have a whole Built Bar family right in your pantry. Figure it out. Diet's complete. If you go over to BuiltBar.com. Who else are we talking today? What else are we getting to? The only thing I have left is my thick boy of the week. No, 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 no. You, uh, you wanted to talk uh, Mac Jones, didn't you? Only thing I've left is Mac Jones and Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Sounds like you're saying. I did a thing on Saturday where, after sharing several nuggets of high quality and serious analysis on the timeline, mm-hmm. I sent a joke disguised as serious analysis and i made it clear it was a joke but it still pissed people off alabama ripped through texas a&m uh they had a, a a turnover in the second quarter that kept texas a&m kind of in it and then they really just opened the uh, uh, uh opened the gates and let the monsters flow right i mean john match had two touchdowns jam waddle the 90 yard catch and run just ridiculous vertical threats that they've got at receiver which is interesting because with Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle as his starting wide receivers. The offense for Tua Tonga Vailoa in 2019 for Alabama was heavily predicated on slants, whips, options, crossers. When they went deep, they liked to throw deep posts and deep overs. Nothing wrong with a good crossing route. Helps uncover guys. You get breaks in the route that's really good for quality route runners like I'm Jerry a, Judy. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of crossers. Yeah. There's no problem. There's no problem. It is interesting to note that the Crimson Tide seem more comfortable and more willing to let Mac Jones throw true vertical routes. So... Routes that do not cross the hashes. Routes in a vertical third. So we got the Jalen Waddle stop and go. We got John Mechie on an outside release nine ball down the sideline, right? These are typically viewed as more difficult throws. And a lot of people noted at the time of Tua's evaluation before we, you know, we got a little bit of Mac Jones, but obviously not like this Mac Jones offense built for Mac Jones. A lot of people noted at the time of Tua's evaluation that he was helped a lot by scheme that even more than a player like Burrow, who's obviously in a great scheme Tua was, you know, throwing RPOs and reading leverage and just going pre-snap kind of isolation stuff. Nothing that really required him to do a ton of work post snap. Mac Jones is asked to do that more. He's asked to throw vertically more from what I've seen of the Alabama defense. Now in reality, when we ask the next important question, how much does this matter? The answer is probably not a lot. Uh, some quarterbacks are better at certain throws than others. I mean, like, yes, the nine ball is typically viewed as the most difficult ball you can throw, but let's not forget that Davis Webb could throw a nine ball in his sleep. It was everything else that he couldn't hit. You know what I mean? Like, there's quarterbacks that have skill sets, and it's on the Alabama coaching staff to identify the skill sets of their two quarterbacks and then cater the offense to that, cater the receiving core to that. If there was an argument for a weakness into his game, which I was one who had 
you know, Joe Burrow one, Tua two, and Herbert three. But I had Tua closer to Herbert than I had him close to Burrow. You see what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. Burrow was clear one, and then yeah, Herbert I understand and Tua, distance. I yeah, got yeah. You. yeah. As somebody who who had that healthy suspicion, that questioning degree of certainty, degree of confidence about what Tua was doing in an offense that was just so supremely talented and was just winning with spread and shred, it is intriguing to me especially when we talk about Mac Jones potential draft stock to see that Jones is really getting some routes and getting a different offense than what Tua got. So I, I, I do believe that the offense built for Tua was built to his strengths and that the offense around Mac is currently built to his strengths and that those were different things. And, and that gives you a little bit more information about Tua and kind of what, what he was best at in college versus what Mac Jones is able to do. I don't think Mac Jones is a better prospect by Tua by any stretch of the imagination. But when we sit down and we get some Tua offense from Miami, they got Preston Williams and Devontae Parker at wide receiver. When this offense is successful, it's throwing deep outside routes. And that's something that I think was absent from a lot of Tua's film in his final season and even in his his two seasons at Alabama versus in Mac Jones' film where they seem more willing to let him attempt those passes. For my topic today, I'm going to stick with the Alabama theme. Oh, yeah? I'm not saying. I'm just saying that in a wide receiver class that features Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, we assume, Rondale Moore, Rashad Bateman, Chris Olave, Amon Ross St. Brown, Tylen Wallace, Terrace Marshall, Jalen Waddell, Never heard of any of these players. Wide receiver one? Jalen Waddle? Dude, is this- he is. I, I'm look again. This is the name of the this is the name of the segment. I'm not Are you saying, saying. I'm just okay, you're saying. Just saying. All right. But I'm not saying. Jalen Waddle is so much more than a speed receiver. And the reason why I'm bringing him up here is because we've got to give we've got to have the same campaign for Jalen Waddle the way we did for Henry Ruggs. Because Henry Ruggs went into last season as the fastest man in college football. But, you know, the more games that we got under our belt and the more that we saw, it was, hey, Henry Ruggs is not just speed. He is a complete wide receiver. Jalen Waddell is not just speed. I think that he could be a complete wide receiver. And some of the moves that he pulled, especially on that double move that he hit down the middle of the field, I mean smooth as butter. That guy's operating at a rare gear casually, in control, that a lot of other wide receivers and just athletes in general cannot operate at. Then, when you saw him catch that ball over the middle, put his foot in the ground, and hit that rare final gear that we don't get to see out there from Jalen Waddle, that was special. You know, you get him on crossers all day long, you know, whether it's shallow or deep, and he's going to be torching man coverage, almost no matter who's up against him. He's strong at the catch point. We saw him flying like Superman last week in between double coverage to go get a ball and mm-hmm. haul it down. I mean, this dude... I ju- I'm, I'm just saying, has what feels like the makeup of a player who can impact the game plan the way that you would want from a top wide receiver in a class. Now, of course, mm-hmm. the guys that I named are very good players. Ron Moore, Jamar Chase, Rashad Bateman, Chris Olave, uh, Seth Williams, Amon Ross St. Brown, Devonta Smith, his teammate. You know, like, these guys are all fantastic players. And if, you know... Only one can be the first wide receiver off the board. But even in a class that is stacked, I feel like no matter where Jalen Waddle goes, he is going to be a game plan impacting player. He's going to be a guy that the defense has to circle, know where he is at all times, no matter what wide receiver spot he gets picked. So this is a player that I'm not sure if he's going to be the top wide receiver taken in the draft this year. I don't know if he's going to be the first wide receiver off the board. But in terms of what he can do for a team, this is a player that whose impact, to me, seems to spell out what could be a top player in any draft class. We it, we like we're so spoiled, man. Come, we're so spoiled. Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase, Rashad Bateman, Rondell Moore. Good football players. All of them. All of them are right. offense changing like, players. I think. Here's 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 a really great and interesting note. We talk about these four. Yesterday, we talked on the Monday podcast about Tristan Wirfs. 
Trevor, real quick, because I can't remember. Tristan Wirfs was the what offensive tackle off the board? What number? Fourth. OT4. Fourth at, at what pick? 13. Right. Offensive tackles started getting picked at four, and then you had another one at 10, and then another one at 11? I think so. Yeah, 11. Jets. When a class is this good, you get the opportunity to be the second or the third or the fourth team to get a guy at a potential huge discount relative to the rest of the guys. Like, yeah, let's right, say Wurfs right. is just the second best. Well, guess what? You didn't, firstly, you didn't get him at four. You got him in the end of the group. That's number one. Number two, you even got to trade back and you still got him. And that patience gets rewarded because we always think we're really good at parsing these players and we generally aren't. So if you look at even like, the wide receiver group. Justin Jefferson's out here setting records for rookie performance as a wide receiver. Vikings just sat there and waited, man. CD Lamb was falling. Right. You just sat there and waited. Right. So when you when you start to get these really thick position groups at the top, mm-hmm. like, all right, is Jalen Waddle wide receiver one? If he is or he isn't, one of him or Jamar Chase is second. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And right. that guy should not be wide receiver two, but he is going to be because only one can be one. And that gives you an opportunity to be really smart in the way that you play runs and you play position groups and tiers through the NFL draft. It's already an interesting thing to think about with this wide receiver group because it's so top heavy. Um, Do we want to do like any other notes? There's some guys that I want to shout out or do we want to do thick boy of the week first? Who do you want to shout out? Tylen Wallace was awesome. This weekend. So I wanted to make sure that I shouted him out. Um, this guy's not draft eligible, but man, he was playing well in the Tennessee game. Henry To'o To'o, the linebacker. To'o To'o, baby. He, he's a yes, tr- sir. He's a true sophomore. And he came in at like 245 last year. He's a four-star linebacker from Hawaii, I believe. He came in at like 245 pounds. Tried to play his freshman year there. He I think he just said like he was very uncomfortable with that weight really trimmed down. Now he's like 225-ish, 230, and he's flying around. I mean, he is making an impact everywhere. He's He reminds me a lot of like Chaz Surratt for a guy who has a lot of natural athleticism for playing linebacker. And so he's he he's a guy who, both the Tennessee games that I watched this year, he has really stood out to me. Only true sophomore, so he's not draft eligible, but he's a guy I want you guys to keep on your your radar. Do I also kind of want to shout out Jared, Gar- Jared Gar- Garantano, their quarterback? Because mm-hmm. look, man, Garantano was not good these last couple of years. Like it was, it's been a struggle for Garantano. But here he is in his senior year. It's taken him a little longer than I'm sure that he's also wanted to. But he has some dimes this past weekend. Like he's really, he has confidence. The whole Tennessee program seems to have a lot of confidence around them right now, and you are seeing that through their quarterback Garantano. And I wanted a big shout him out because he's a guy who's had a lot of criticism thrown his way. So I wanted to make sure that I got his name on the show as well. He's a senior. A senior bowl eligible. Could be. Might, 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 maybe seeing him in mobile. I don't know. Who knows? All right. So those are the guys that I wanted to make sure. Shout that out I Dylan Radens, by the way, who got the first senior bowl info for 2021. They handed that to him in the North oh, State Oh, yeah, Washington. they did. Really yeah, big cool, shout man. out. Big shout out. Yeah, big fan. Thick boy of the week. Thick boy of the week. Who we got? Diana George Auburn. Uh, we had JJP... P- Piggies. I learned it's Piggies is his last name. Yeah, Two it syllables. is. It is. It's Piggies. Yes. Piggies. Uh, who's our thick boy of the week in week one? He also had a little wildcat quarterback short yardage yeah, situation. He did. Yeah, he did. Uh, looking real good. He's going to be a candidate pretty much every week. He's the man. Um, but it was Georgia who bodied Auburn all game long with some help from nose tackle Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis, who we were a big fan of on this podcast. You Were, were you high on Davis? I like Davis a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Davis. Jordan Davis is 6'6", 330. Ben Fennell of CBS Sports and ESPN was going through his film on the timeline against Auburn. So he gets the All-22 right away because he's the man. And he described Jordan Davis as, quote, a building, which is really good. I'd like that. Yeah, he's a structure, man. Like, <laughs> that's an excellent analogy. Davis was great on defense for the Bulldogs, but he is not a thick boy of the week for that performance. Rather, he is our thick boy of the week for his performance on offense in the Bulldogs goal line sets. Both Jordan Davis and fellow offensive lineman Jalen Carter, who's a healthy 6'3", 315, plays nose tackle for them, joined the Georgia offense as a base tight end in the uh, in Davis's case and as the fullback in Jalen Carter's case. 
I saw two plays of Jordan Davis at tight end. They ran behind him on both. They scored touchdowns on both. Jordan Davis murdered somebody on both. I am wholly here for defensive linemen as tight ends in blocking sets. It's something New England's done extremely successfully with six offensive linemen or Tyler Vrabel or not Tyler Vrabel. That's the new Vrabel, Mike Vrabel um, for, for years, right? They've done this well. What is most important here, Trevor, mm-hmm. is Jordan Davis, thick boy of the week, tremendous blocking on the goal line, powering George to a victory, deserves the award, is that we may get the play action back pylon throw. <laughs> and that truly, that, that's, that's what we're hunting for here. We're hunting for Jordan Davis. And when he gets drafted, the team that picks him is immediately able to drop a highlight of him high pointing a ball with a 0.2 inch vertical wide open in the back of the end zone <laughs> for a 21 point lead on Ole Miss. And it's going to be hilarious. A 0.2 inch vertical. Come on, man. Listen, listen, listen. He can jump higher. But when that ball's coming in, he's gonna be like, "All right, elevate," and his body's gonna back, have no, to focus, stay. Yeah, he's gonna focus. have to stay grounded. Yeah, he's gonna have to yeah. remember his roots. Yeah, exactly. He's gonna be like, "Listen, we're about. I cannot drop this. I am not getting up off the ground." You you operate best with both feet on the ground, big man. Don't blow it now. Stay connected to the turf. They've been teaching me that for years. <laughs> All right, there we go. Uh, that that's college football. We get the Big Ten in a couple of weeks, but uh, for now, we're just enjoying this uh, Big Twelve SEC ACC slate. So that was everything that happened in Week Five tomorrow. We go to Watchers Wednesday, episode three. Ben and I are going to be bringing our guys that we are putting the all 22 on from the previous week, week four in the NFL. As always, guys, if you have some film thoughts or just game observations that you want to get out, some takes that you want to get out and have on the show, hit us up at Tampa Bay Trey, at Benjamin Solak on Twitter. I'm at MT underscore Trevorist on Instagram. Uh, you can, we, we love when we get your voices in the podcast, if you could either do a voice recording or shoot, you know, if you just recorded a video and sent it to Ben or myself on Twitter or Instagram, I could just screen grab it and put it in the show. So we can still do that as well. If you're sending it to us on the premium Slack, make sure that you give me a private message. Don't put it in one of the public forums because y'all talk so much football. It will get lost. And I want you to get it on the show. Uh, we've had a lot of great points. Uh, a lot of you have already gotten in on the first two episodes. Let's keep it going. Let's hear from you. Raul, you pointed out Julian Blackman two weeks ago. Guess who got a pick this past weekend? Julian Blackman. See? Oh. Be like Raul. I was going to guess Alex Singleton. No, you could be on the up and coming. Are you in on Alex Singleton? Somebody asked me if you are like big on Alex Singleton. Are you big on Alex Singleton? Singleton had like a really good preseason in 2019. Everybody was like, he should start. And at the time, I was like, let's be rational here. The Eagles linebackers can't be that bad. And then he's stuck around on special teams for the last two seasons. And, and I'm Eagles here to tell linebackers you, are that bad. the Eagles linebackers are that bad. Yeah, okay. All uh, right. So listen, Alex Singleton, the interception was a total gimme. Nate Gary could have made that play, but he didn't. So now I get to make jokes about the fact that Alex Singleton has the pick and how I want him to play. So I see a win. Watch this Wednesday. Get in on the show tomorrow. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked on NFL Draft.